On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Americana Music Profiles is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's leading online therapy platform. The mission of BetterHelp is to make professional therapy accessible, affordable, and convenient, so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp offers access to licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited psychologists, marriage and family therapists, clinical social workers, and board-licensed professional counselors. An extensive study by the Berkeley Wellbeing Institute found BetterHelp to be as effective as face-to-face therapy. And now for a limited time, when you access BetterHelp, you will receive a 10% discount off of your first month. To activate this 10% discount, use my link at betterhelp.com slash Americana. Thanks for tuning into Americana Music Profiles. The next episode starts right now. You are tuned in to another edition of Americana Music Profiles, brought to you by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine and AmericanaMusicMagazine.com. I'm your host, Greg Tutwiler. Let's jump right in to the next exciting interview. New Zealand singer-songwriter Graham James takes a contemplative look at life in his latest album, Seasons, due out on April 1st. This multi-instrument artist is also a producer and took advantage of his talents in the creation of this new project. Graham joins me here on this new edition of Americana Music Profiles as he talks about the process of putting together this new project. Hi, Graham. Welcome to the podcast. Delighted to be here, or at some distance, but yeah. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> thanks for joining us, and, and some distance is, uh, is, is an understatement. <laughs> um, uh, wh- where are we talking to you from today? Uh, from The Hague in the Netherlands. All right. Uh, that yeah. is that is a bit of a distance. Uh, what what uh, Just, uh, I've got a eleven a.m. here as we speak. What time is it for you? I think it's exactly exactly six hours on the other side of the yeah. Atlantic. Okay. So yeah. the um, it's a it's a five o'clock and uh, yeah yeah that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, New Zealand um, home to you for a while or were you born there what what's what's home hometown for you oh yeah it's hard to say these days but yeah i was born in new zealand and um uh but i I have a bit of dutch heritage uh through my granddad Mm -hmm. and so i have dual citizenship which means i can okay i can live in live in a bunch of different places and uh currently we're living in in uh, the hague in the netherlands but yeah i think um I'm a reasonably bad Dutch person, and that I, my language skills here are super average. Um, <laughs> but if, everyone's English here is incredible, so I feel slightly less bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. I, um, of course, technology and and the ability to connect like we are today has changed a lot of things. But mm. uh, growing up as a younger person uh, throughout the 70s and 80s and and not being able mm. to communicate with people in other countries you you mm. uh, don't understand really how many people speak the english language even if it's a variation of it uh how many 
how easy it is to communicate like this uh, between countries. Mm. Um, and and it, it is a little bit rude, <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's like it, learn it, this ridiculous language, everyone. <laughs> it, 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 right, right, yeah, um, tr true, yeah. And I don't know whose whose fault that is, um, but I guess to our defense, uh, we came here speaking it, so it's not a this is true. This it's is not true. a U.S. problem <laughs> for a change. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, exactly. we, we we can't own that one. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> when when did music become a thing for you? Is it uh, lifelong? Yeah, lifelong. So my family's always been, uh, yeah, really musical. Um, and I started. My parents asked me if I wanted to to play any instruments when I was about five, and I started um, miming. The, uh, the actions of playing a violin and I thought oof that sounds like a bad idea <laughs> yeah. so they just they kind of let that slide and then two years later I was still wanting to do that so they thought okay let's let's give this a go and then they had to put up with the obligatory three years of yeah. awful noises <laughs> um, and uh, and then yeah things just carried on from there at what age did that morph into uh, a career playing for uh, something more than just your own entertainment kind of thing. Yeah, well, it was a, it was a bit of a journey actually because I I started out as a classical musician, and then um, all throughout high school that was kind of my thing, and I wanted to be a concert violinist, playing in orchestras and all that. Um, but I had a few repetitive strain injuries from too much violining and kind of uh, bad posture and things and they never really resolved themselves so I just ended mm. up giving up on that went to uni studied things that had nothing to do with music and uh, but I started uh, writing songs I uh, picked up the guitar taught myself a few songs and then immediately started a bit of songwriting while I was at uni and um, after many years of playing the violin I just I just kind of let it sit in its case for a couple of years and then um yeah picked up uh there'd, there'd always been a bit of folk music in the family mm -hmm. um so we had a family folk band when i was younger mm. and and so that started uh kind of re-emerging and then i picked up a loop pedal at one point and um yeah then it, all the pieces kind of fell into place i was like ah oh, the violin I play that hmm. and, and so I was able to combine all these uh, kind of disparate parts of my musical identity into one thing and uh, yeah it's great I think I read where you spent some time as a street musician is that right using the loop? yeah 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 uh, totally so yeah. the first two years of my um, was kind of an improvised career this is around about 2012 um, were yeah basically exclusively street performance and i would uh i was living in a different town at the time so i would go down to the the capital city of new zealand which is uh, wellington i'd drive down there and then play on the street and and um i'd, I'd usually play into the to the wee small hours of the night mm -hmm. and then sleep in my sleep in my car and do that a couple of nights and eventually make my way back um and then ended up just um, not through any kind of a deprivation, but uh, ended up um, just spending a couple of weeks in there 
uh, just playing on the street and sleeping in my car, and I mm-hmm. thought I should probably like just do this actually. So I moved to Wellington, uh, and then I went on tour. And basically, at the time, my touring was just basically finding different streets <laughs> around <laughs> New Zealand. <laughs> so it was very organic. Uh-huh. Um, but but uh, street performance is brilliant for um, proof of concept, and uh-huh. uh, I was able to even in. In, in those times, I was able to get people to stop and to engage with what I was doing. And so even though it was pretty raw and um, a bit rough and ready, there, there was a, a sense that this might be a good option mm-hmm. moving forward. Have you always been able to pursue music uh, as a source of profession or have there been other things that you, you do along the way? Yeah, well, when I start, when I the busking was actually like somewhat lucrative. Um, so when I like I was studying electrical engineering mm-hmm. at the time, and uh, just as a student and, and whatnot, and I ended up dropping out of that in my third year to become a, a musician, hmm. which <laughs> a little bit little bit ridiculous. Um, but I had a good incentive to like make it work, which is that I wanted to eat food. <laughs> um, so, you know, I just, I just make it work and go out every day. Um, and if it was raining, I'd go down to the train station and, and play there. And, and so r- right from the get go, there wasn't really a plan. There wasn't a plan B. Uh, and I think because there wasn't a plan B, I just, I, I was able to make it, mm-hmm. um, make it happen. And then, Eventually, uh, it moved more indoors and then around the world. When did you find your way into the studio and and feel like you had enough material that you were happy with to record? Um, it was, I think it was probably about a year and a bit into that journey. Mm, I, okay. I was traveling down to traveling down to a place called Queenstown, which is kind of the Aspen or um, Whistler of New Zealand, mm-hmm. uh, so kind of a ski ski resort town, and it was during the summer. It's just like it's a beautiful mountainous uh, kind of place with lots of lakes, and um, I was playing there, and I actually met a mu- I met a magician from Boulder, Colorado, hmm. uh, like an absolute veteran. He'd just been traveling around the world for years, wow. and he said, "You need to make it. You need to make an album." Um, and I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> great, great idea! Yeah. Thank you, magician." Uh, and I did. Uh, I went. I went back to Wellington. I booked a week's worth of studio time. I had virtually no idea what I was doing, um, huh. but I had a very patient sound engineer who helped me to put together this album in absolutely no time at all. Uh, and yeah, it was. I then took that. This is kind of when CDs were still vaguely a thing and I, I right. sold a bunch of them on the street and I would get messages from people saying hey this is amazing this was our soundtrack to our road trips and uh-huh. wow, and, cool. um, and eventually it actually some of those tracks got picked up by Spotify a couple of years later as well Yeah, which was very surprising given how I was not at all confident in what I was doing but I think it ended up being a bit of a vibe so yeah We're going to pause for just a moment. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the interview. Did you um, 
play all of the instrumentation on that recording or have some studio guys that you worked with also? Yeah. No, it was it was completely uh, completely me doing my thing. So the first album was a cover album. Um, so the, actually, the first two, because when you're when you're performing on the street, um, you've got a much better chance of stopping people if they go, "Oh, I know this. What is yeah, this?" Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so that really allowed me having those two cover albums under my belt. Really allowed me to kind of almost serve an apprenticeship in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time it came around to releasing my third album, which was a, an original album, I was able to kind of hit the ground running and yeah, it's actually only in recent times that I've started, in, um, involving a whole bunch more, uh, musicians mm, in the studio. Mm. H- have you always performed as a solo artist or have there been times where there's been a quote band involved? <laughs> Um, I, I've, I'd often play a couple of songs with my wife during the set. She's a wonderful oh, uh-huh. uh, uh, songwriter and vocalist. Um, and so we'd, we'd do that. But uh, to be fair, there was just so much touring and moving around um, that there was really not that much of an opportunity to uh, to involve people, or at least I didn't take the opportunities mm-hmm. that were there. It's actually only recently... Um, this is kind of your classic uh, musician COVID experience. We're like, oh, I should do things differently. (laughs) (laughs) Probably everyone you have on your podcast is like, and then COVID came. Right. (laughs) Um, So, but for me, it was, I I hooked up with a bunch of uh, people here in a studio and um, we made, yeah, just started making some some cool music together uh, of a whole bunch of different genres and then, Ended up, uh, yeah, with some, a bunch of collaborations um, through that. Uh, turned out that my accountant was also like a wonderful drummer. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> so, like, yeah. and it, like he had never done anything like this before. But like, um, there was a, a track off the off the um, the seasons album, and like it ended up getting featured in Rolling Stone, and they specifically mentioned his drumming as being like. Oh, that's cool. Completely outrageous. So, like, <laughs> just it's a yeah, doing things with friends is a, is a real buzz. Yeah, yeah. Um, what inspires you as a songwriter? What uh, and specifically for the new album, which you mentioned, mm. Seasons? D- did you create the songs uh, specifically for this record, or, or go back through your library? Um, so, I think the majority of them were written. Uh, it was an interesting project because it, it ended up being written. Like I came up with the idea for it pre-COVID, okay. and just kind of sat and wrote um, a lot of stuff based around seasonal themes. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you, you, yeah, the the Netherlands is it's not like it's not particularly extreme in terms of its seasonality, but it's a whole lot more seasonal than New Zealand mm-hmm. um, just because of the deciduous trees as opposed to the evergreen ones in New Zealand and and you know you get a bit of snow in winter and um, yeah the seasons are just were just so much more distinct and so that inspired this kind of songwriting yeah process and um, so I, I think there's probably only one or two songs 
maybe even none. <laughs> they were kind of, uh, yeah, like possibly one or two songs that were like, oh, I think this fits into that theme. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of it was just kind of writing and then, um, yeah, just using the seasons as a metaphor uh, for various kind of um, aspects of, of human existence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of songwriters, singer-songwriters, are kind of limited to one instrument. That's the one that they've always played, guitar, maybe piano mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, being a multi-instrumentalist, when you write songs, do you... Do you incorporate the other instruments and the sounds as you're creating? When does when do the other when do the other instruments sounds come into your writing process? <laughs> That's a really good question. I wish I had an amazing answer, but um, <laughs> I think I I end up um, I end up just often just going back to whatever's lying around uh-huh. okay. uh, at the time. So it's like. I have a couple of go-tos, and they're basically a baritone ukulele that I've done awful things to in terms of its tuning. Um, and that's always just lying uh, like uh, lying around, mm-hmm. and then usually a guitar. I mean, there was a few sort of songs that were keyboard or piano-led or mandolin-led, but mostly it ends up being just just playing around with chords and looking mm-hmm. for interesting mm-hmm. inversions and something to kind of spark that process. Um, but I'm, I'm basically like every other <laughs> singer songwriter <laughs> at the initial stages. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you, <laughs> Not, uh, uh, which comes first, the melody or the words? Does it, does it have a, uh, a message? Yeah. Uh, it's for me, it's almost always chords and then some sort of garbled melody, um, a, a kind of usually gibberish based around one or two uh-huh. kind of uh, phrases, and then discovering what the song is about. Yeah. Um, I don't tend to go into uh, probably seventy-five percent of the songs that I write. I'm not. I'm not sure what I'm writing when okay. I start out. Interesting. And then the clarity kind of comes over time. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'm like, okay, this is this is a song about this, and and it will start that way and and kind of track its way through to the end. But often I'm discovering uh, things about the song and about myself as I'm writing them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Um, the album is seasons. We are talking mm-hmm. early March. I think I saw the release date on that is April first or right around there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And singles are out already. Yes. Okay. And yep. um, um, video. Have you have you been able to do some video with these two? Yeah. Yeah. So the um, the everlasting love, which was the the first single, I was in Rome recently. And uh, managed to um, find a, a brilliant local videographer to kind of uh, follow me, around <laughs> making making assorted uh, street noises. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was really fun. Yeah. And then um, yeah, the, the next one is going to be uh, based here in in the Hague. Yeah. Um, 
it's it's an autumn theme song and it's very much winter so i'm gonna go find some leaves and throw them at things before, <laughs> uh, yeah how, how far out are you thinking are you are you already working on the next project or, or not quite that fast um i think no i i yeah also a good question i think i um there's a lot of kind of other background things going on so I started writing songs, but I'm not really sure of the direction. Hmm. Uh, like I'm, I can be very uh, enthused about many different things. So I'm like, like for uh, about a whole month, I was pretty sure I was going to go down some sort of indie folk rock kind of path. <laughs> 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 and and then you're like, oh, that's actually not that not that good an idea. And and so I, I think uh, I'm. I'm just going to sit on things for a while yeah. after this and, yeah. and, and just, just, I think I need a bit more time to percolate. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. How can people get in touch, uh, get a copy of the record, listen to the videos, uh, watch the videos, yeah. listen to the music. What's the best way to do all that? Well, it, um, it'll all be out on Spotify and, uh, and all the various streaming services and Graham James. So Graham with the weird spelling, but, g-r-a-e-m-e james i think it's um it's a tricky one because there's a um if you spell it the normal way which is with the gray ham Mm -hmm. and you end up with a a lot of news articles for a um a pedophile hockey coach in canada so not (laughs) such a good not such a good vibe don't want to go down that path (laughs) (laughs) don't go down there he's a terrible musician as well uh no um so um yeah so that but yeah, Graham James TV on uh, on YouTube, and there'll be some vinyl coming out in the near future. Cool. Not quite timed with the release, but yeah. Um, yeah. later in 2022. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks, Graham. I appreciate the yeah. um, uh, chat, and um, always good to connect, uh, make these instant connections, and, and learn about music in other parts of the, yeah. the country from us, at least. And so we, we oh. certainly wish you well with it. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Greg, and thanks to the listeners. And yeah, we'll uh, see you around. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Find us on iTunes at Americana Music Profiles and on the internet at AmericanaRhythm.com. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. 
Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.